Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hello, America, and welcome to the Friday edition of John Solomon Reports. Yes, the Friday before President's Day holiday weekend. One of my favorite holiday weekends. I love celebrating the great presidents in this country, and uh, we always have a lot of fun in our house. We do some quizzes. Uh, My wife and I will be driving in the car, probably going up to the cabin this weekend, and we'll try to stump each other on some presidential history because we love doing that. We've got a great show for you today. We also got a big scoop I want to talk to you about. (laughs) It could only have happened in Biden world. We're going to give you that in a second on the impending sentencing of Hunter Biden's business partner and some pretty remarkable last minute machinations in the court around Devin Archer. You all know Devin Archer's name from my earlier reporting. But first, let me give you a rundown of today's show. We've got a really great set of guests. And I also want to tease Monday, but let me tell you about today first. Our first guest today is going to be Gene Hamilton. He was a senior counselor to the attorneys general in the Trump administration at the Justice Department, has a tremendous career in law enforcement in some of the most important law enforcement bodies in Congress. He was on the Senate Judiciary Committee inside the Justice Department. He was a senior counselor to both Jeff Sessions and Bill Barb. So he served for both major attorney generals. He also helped out the two acting attorney generals that occurred in the Trump administration, because as you know, there's a little bit of turbulence in the Justice Department. So he also worked for Jeff Rosen and Matt Whitaker during the temporary breaks in between the Sessions Bar Justice Departments. Before that, he served, as I said, in the Senate Judiciary Committee. He served inside the Homeland Security Department, including under John Kelly. He is really seen the full circle of law enforcement. And all of us are grappling with these big questions of letters in Congress the last few days. Has the Justice Department become politically weaponized in a way unseen in history? This guy was on the inside. Gene was on the inside. We're going to have a great conversation with him. And I also want to take him to a place on border security because he was an assistant chief counsel inside of ICE, worked inside the Homeland Security Department. And a lot of people are saying, is there some way 
to punish those that are taking illegal aliens who are being allowed into the country and who are now trafficking them to the interior of their country. Is there some legal mechanism to stop it? Is it impeachment? Is it lawsuit? Is it prosecution? I want to ask Gene that. He's going to have, I'm certain, going to have some very informed and fun answers. And then after we're done with Gene Hamilton, we're going to go take a stroll down to Tennessee. Yes, we're not one, but two candidates are facing some pushback. Morgan Ortegas, the former State Department spokeswoman for Mike Pompeo, and Robbie Starbuck, a famous producer who moved to Tennessee a few years back. These are two new entrants to politics of Tennessee politics, and there's an effort underway by the Tennessee legislature to pass laws that might nullify their ability to run for the 5th Congressional District seat in Tennessee. A fascinating story of machinations. We're going to bring one of those two candidates on the show. Robbie Starbuck's going to join us, and he's going to give us his side of the story because there's been some reporting in Tennessee saying this law would prevent Robbie Starbuck from running. We've been doing our own research. I mean, really kind of minutia research. And I'm not sure those reports are accurate. Robbie Starbuck is here to answer the fire line questions. He's going to tell us when did he move to Tennessee? When did he start living there? When did he become a resident? And how this law would apply to him? Morgan Ortega has a little bit trickier thing because she just moved to the Tennessee region. This law could affect her more. There is also talk that maybe the law will be delayed by one election. A really fun story uh, that only could happen in the great state of Tennessee. We're going to have Robbie Starbuck here. Now, before we get to those two great interviews, I want to just point out one story. I promised it on the TV show last night. We delivered it today. It deals with the impending sentencing of Hunter Biden's convicted felon business partner, Devin Archer. Devin Archer was the guy that served with Hunter Biden and actually lined up the Burisma board job that Hunter Biden got in Ukraine. He also is the guy that puts together the Chinese investment fund deal that, you know, is one of the, I think, one of the poster childs for the conflicts of interest that Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings created for Joe Biden and for the Obama-Biden White House. So Devin Archer is a really essential guy, right? He was arrested in 2016 at the end of the Obama-Biden year. He's convicted in 2018. And here we are in 2022, February 22. He has still not been sentenced. He's been convicted for nearly four years, and he's still roaming free. He finally is going to face sentencing next week, and he makes his last-ditch plea. This is a guy that went to the Supreme Court and lost. He tried to get his conviction overturned. Federal Appeals Court, U.S. Supreme Court refused to overturn it, though his trial judge in New York at one point tried to overturn the charges. She got reversed. All right, so four years now, nearly four years from his conviction, he's now going to face the consequences of defrauding a Indian tribe. He was convicted of two federal felony counts of security fraud in a bond scheme that defrauded millions of dollars from an Indian tribe that didn't have a lot of resources. So a sort of impoverished Indian tribe. And so now he's got to face the music. He's been out traveling the globe free for four years, even though he's a convict. Now the judge is going to sentence him. So he makes his last ditch effort to make the case for himself that he shouldn't go to prison because that's what he's asking. Obviously, the felony convictions carry normally a prison sentence with them. He wants to avoid prison sentence. And he has a double play in his sentencing memo. We got this sentencing memo. We downloaded it from the court and we presented it to you free first exclusively this morning on Just the News. So why does Devin Archer say he shouldn't go to prison? He's got two main arguments. 
He doesn't mention the Biden family. He just alludes to a presidential election in a famous set of associations, a la the Biden family. He says, because of the vitriolic media coverage around the Biden family, I got victimized. I don't know how he got victimized. He's the guy that victimized the tribe, according to the jury. But he was victimized by the Biden family's vitriolic media coverage. So give me a break. Don't send me to prison. That's his first argument. His second argument is, and I'm not making this up. This is not a headline from the Babylon Bee or the Onion, two satirical news sites. He actually says, you should trust my character references. My former communist Chinese business associate, the man who created that investment fund for Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. He says, I'm a good guy. So because my Chinese business partner says I'm a good guy, don't send me to prison. That's really what these court filings say. If you don't believe me, go to Just the News right now to the story with the headline, Convicted Hunter Biden Business Pal Uses Chinese Banking Associate to Plead for No Prison Time. You can download the documents of the digging tool and read them yourself. When I put this headline out last night, we broke the story. I started getting calls. All right, when did you get into satire? So I'm going to try to be funny. I'm like, no, this is a real story. He's literally using a Chinese businessman to make the case for himself that he shouldn't go to prison. And he also blames the Biden family because of all of that media coverage. He should get leniency. I think you guys probably have a different opinion. Read the story. Check out the documents. It's a lot of fun. And it's a true story. How about that? All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, first up, Gene Hamilton, former chief counselor to the Attorney General of the United States, right after this commercial break. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY 
at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Our next guest I'm so proud to welcome for four years. He was the counselor to the Attorney General inside the Trump Justice Department. He served under Attorney General Barr, Attorney General Sessions, Acting Attorney General Rosen, and Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker. He caught the entire Trump experience. He's also one of the most respected lawyers in town, a member of the Federalist Society. Joining me right now, Gene Hamilton. Gene, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, John. I'm so excited to have this conversation because there's so much talk and chatter in America now about whether we've crossed uh, over to a threshold that we've never crossed to, that we've politicized the Justice Department, politicized the uh, FBI, and almost daily there are letters going back and forth. In the last 24 hours, House Republicans sent two letters, one saying we're really worried about this new domestic terror office and DOJ feels like maybe it's a political attack thing on school parents. And then a separate letter comes in, 46 members of the Senate say, hey, we're worried that you might politically tamper with the John Durham investigation of Hillary Clinton. Uh, Did you ever expect that we'd reach a period in American history where there'd be this much distrust in the institution that is the Justice Department? Well, John, I mean, it's really a sad situation. Um, And it's something that (laughs) for all of his rhetoric, and for all of his talk about returning the Department of Justice to norms and all of those other such things, Merrick Garland's Department of Justice has betrayed the trust of the American people. And they have eliminated um, a- any kind of deference that people might have once given to them uh, in-, in terms of, you know, when they say, hey, look, uh, we're trying to do this because there's uh, this particular threat that we're trying to address. Well, they've destroyed their credibility. They have completely destroyed it, and they've done it in a number of ways, including some of the things um, that you just mentioned. I mean, look, it's it, it, a lot of it goes – you can look at this pattern. Uh, going back to last summer when uh, they start by uh, – the, the advocates start shouting about uh, election integrity, voter right. integrity, all this other stuff. And it, it, the next thing you know, um, and I, by the advocates, I mean people on the left – uh, talking about how the Georgia's uh, new voter integrity laws is racist, it's whatever. And then here comes the Department of Justice, and they sue. Um, and it's time and time again when there's an outcry from from the radical left or from these these really emboldened advocates, uh, the Department of Justice does their bidding. They don't do the bidding of the American people, so they're engaged in these political lawsuits. They're engaged in all of these activities that really erode the trust of the American people. And, and uh, you know, I, I think the most blatantly obvious example of this goes back to last October when we're talking about the school board memo. Uh, we're talking about Garland telling uh, the FBI and the U.S. attorney's offices to, to focus on the threat posed by uh, violence against school board members. The, you can name the issue in this Department of Justice has just completely gone to the left, completely done the opposite of returning to norms, uh, if that is such a thing. Um, and uh, they're really doing the, the bidding of the radical left these days. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. When you look at these election lawsuits against Georgia and Texas particularly, they could actually delay the implementation of the legislature's will beyond 2022. You might not have, those laws might not take an effect depending where this goes. 
in any earlier uh, de- Department of Justice. And uh, I'll take you back to Bill Clinton, where Merrick Garland was a very important prosecutor back then. Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Donald Trump, Barack Obama. Would those lawsuits have been filed in an earlier Justice Department? <laughs> I, I, you know, look, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, it is it is really one of these things that if you take a step back and you take that historical perspective uh, that you just mentioned, and you think back, would this have been done 10 years ago? Would this have been done 20 years ago? And then the answer to those questions, nine times out of 10, is no. And that goes to show you just how far <laughs> to the left yeah. this institution has moved. And it's sad because there are, there are still good people um, in career uh, uh, employees who work in the Department of Justice, who want to do the right thing, but they have been besieged and overtaken by this just insatiable appetite for political power by by their leaders, um, by their political leaders um, who are currently there and are directing all of these kinds of just radical things to be done. Um, You mentioned the letter from the the members of the House about this domestic terrorism unit. I mean, look, it's it's nice to know. Um, I think the American people, if you sit there and you think back, uh, oh, apparently this Department of Justice has reached the conclusion that they have solved violent crime in the United States, this epidemic of violent crime that we're seeing across yeah. big cities all across the country. They have solved <laughs> drug trafficking. <laughs> they have solved problems with cartels and spare time on their hands apparently right (laughs) they have so much spare time on their hands that they they can worry about you know uh, patriotic americans who are expressing you know their their views about things i mean it's it's just it's nonsensical the the facts don't match up something smells bad and when something smells bad it usually is and (laughs) i mean it just it, it puts people in this picture um, it puts Ameri- the average American sitting in whatever state across the country in a position where they see the things that are happening here, and then they see the things that are happening up in Canada right now, right. and they think the logical conclusion for for the average person is, well, gosh, we're not too, we're not too many steps away from what we're seeing up there, uh, and 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 I think that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. I think that it's it's an indication that something is wrong, and we need to get back on track. Yeah, it's a pretty remarkable moment. And you know, sometimes the Justice Department will shift because the t- the time shift and people shift and new issues come up. But on the voting issue, it's the most amazing thing because in 2005, 15 years ago, there was a bipartisan commission that said voter ID is a good thing. In fact, it's going to become more essential in the future. So 15 years ago, there was that sentiment. You take polling today. 70, 80% of Americans still believe voter ID is the right thing to do. But the, the, the Justice Department doesn't reflect the will of the people, nor the, the, you know, the history of the law. There's an enormous gap. Uh, and I think it has people scratching their heads. Um, political prosecutions. Is, do you see a temptation? Forget the Justice Department. Say, well, to go to the local district attorneys where George Soros has now put a lot of money in to find prosecutors that are his type of prosecutor, which is bail reform, maybe go after Republicans like we've seen in some of these big cities with uh, 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 really partisan Democrat district attorneys. Is there a concern that at the local district attorney level, there's been a corrupting or a tilting of politics into what have traditionally been apolitical jobs? 
Yeah, look, I, I think that the the answer to that is is absolutely, um, and it you know, obviously it depends on the on the district that we're talking about and the city that we're talking about. Right. Uh, but, but there are absolutely are at the local level um, some, some real ideologues who are occupying these positions of power and who are undermining public safety and security in their communities. And you know, look, they they, they view their job is not to follow the laws. And is to not enforce the laws and to prosecute criminals who, <laughs> who the voter, the, the very laws that the voter that were passed by uh, the, the elected representatives that the voters put into office, and instead that they're social justice warriors committed to eradicating every kind of uh, uh, wrong that they have viewed or perceived occurring in the past. And <laughs> he need look no further than than San Francisco's uh, district attorney, who has apparently taken you know his, the per, his personal plight and his personal experiences with his own with his own family and his frustrations uh, as a child having to deal with an incarcerated parent right. and then flip that and turn that as you know as a as justification to completely eviscerate common sense prosecution policies that would end uh some of the things that we're seeing across this country these folks get down this rabbit hole of the social justice and of all these other things, and they come to the place where they're not even prosecuting shoplifting offenses or loitering offenses uh, and all these other things. And you see, you see the results of that, and you're seeing the results of that in cities all across this country uh, <laughs> where people have just forgotten that you have to do things. We have laws for a reason, and if you don't have those laws, there are real immediate impacts and those impacts are not just <laughs> seen overnight. It can, sometimes it can take a few weeks, a few months uh, uh, to, to see those results, but were, we're seeing them now. And you don't go back. I mean, you can't go back to law and order if you continue down this path. You have to reverse course. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see at the local level um, uh, some accountability from, from people who hold their elected representatives uh, uh, accountable and, um, you know, really return their societies, their communities to, to places where, where laws respected and order is restored. The problem is, is that, of course, if any of those individual prosecutors um, get elevated to further positions of power, uh, like you have up in Massachusetts, right. where Rachel Rollins was, was uh, very much an act, active district attorney, um, uh, it, very much uh, of that ilk, and who the Biden administration empowered as the United States Attorney for the District of Massachusetts. And so, you know, we're going to see what happens up there at the federal level as a result of the implementation of these, these this type of uh, ideology. Yeah, such an important case to watch. We've got Kim Gardner in St. Louis. You've got the L.A. and um, uh, New York new district attorneys where there's a lot of concern. And then in Pennsylvania, you got the Philadelphia district attorney who's now potentially facing impeachment by the Pennsylvania legislature to remove him. Pretty remarkable moment. I want to take you back to the Justice Department because very few people get to serve in the extraordinary position you were in. And I'll, I get this question a lot and, and, uh, and from everyday people, which is, has the Justice Department and the people that occupy it on a daily basis, the career people, have they changed? Do they have a different mission than law and order? The people you met that you worked alongside of, that you know you did the daily job with, and you clearly worked for attorney generals who truly believed in law and order, right? Barr and Sessions are two law and order guys. 
were they surrounded by people or has the department sort of been supplanted by ideologues? I think that on the whole, the department, the line level people who are doing the day in, day out work are are still on the whole great folks and folks who want to do the right thing. The problem is, is that in particularly in certain offices and certain divisions within within the department, um, they have been totally overtaken by ideologues and um, people get in positions of power um, and are able to operate in, in wield the levers of power in a, in a way that really weaponizes the department politically yeah. um, and without, without much oversight and without much check or balance. And one of the things that is particularly interesting to note, uh, albeit uh, it is, is just rather upsetting, quite frankly, is that during the time of the Trump administration, the Department of Justice was on the whole so focused on restoring law and order and on doing things, using federal law, uh, defending <laughs> the use of federal law to do things that are fundamentally part of any sovereign nation's responsibility. Things that, to your point earlier, 20, 30 years ago were completely bipartisan issues, completely uncontroversial. So, so for example, in the immigration space, right, building a wall. Uh, <laughs> I mean, who would have thought, you know, 20 years ago, or, or I'm sorry, 15 years ago, um, during the last uh, real wall funding prior to the Trump administration, you, you had bipartisan support for building fence uh, in the in the Secure Fence Act. Yeah. Um, and there there was the widespread recognition, hey, this is something that works. This is something that we're going to do. And then fast forward to the Trump administration, and all of a sudden it becomes evil, and it becomes uh, something that is that is uh, totally unacceptable, and it's something that we're faced with floods of litigation about uh, being able to just simply do something that any sovereign nation across the entire world has the absolute right and responsibility to do. And so, you know, we 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 have gone from this place, in my opinion, of having four years of trying to get things back on track and trying to restore the rule of law and defending the right of the federal government uh, in the areas that truly are areas of federal responsibility. So immigration and national security and some of these other things and really taking a fight, uh, take, solving some of these things to a place now where where it's completely abandoned uh, some of those areas and where it's engaged in all kinds of political maneuvers and again is 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 actively eroding public trust in the institution itself and that to think back and to think about as a for example as a comparison this memo that Merrick Garland issued in October yeah. that told Very jarring people, isn't it it's very jarring. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that you don't get a letter written to the president of the United States by an organization on a, delivered on a, you know, Wednesday or Thursday of one week and a responsive letter written or a responsive memo issued by the attorney general of the United States, you know, four business days later uh, <clears throat> in the real world. That doesn't happen unless it's pre-coordinated and it's pre-cooked. And that's all part of a broader plan. 
Now, there, there's checks and there's balances and there's oversight and there's all kinds of things and there's, and there's chains of approval and uh, different things that usually happen when you're going to issue a memo of that significance. Um, but with, with this Garland memo, um, it clearly did not go through the ordinary course. It clearly was pre-cooked and pre-baked. And I know that in the Trump administration, that type of a thing would not have happened. We would not have uh, – uh, there, there would be screams from every news organization and every entity with any ounce of credibility um, uh, calling, us, calling us to task for something like that. And yet here we are today, and it's really only – you know, the, the news organizations, uh, the conservative-leaning news organizations, uh, parents across the country and others who have paid attention to this yeah. and, and, and rightly, you know, pointed it out. Media, you can't find any coverage of it. It's crazy. Right. So, so you know, look, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I, I, I hope that the institution is able to survive. Uh, its credibility is able to survive. Um, it's, it's a, it's a great place. It's a, it's really, it, when, when used for good, when, when doing the right things, it's a great place. It's an honorable place. There's great people who, who are there, but you have got to address number one, there's a lot of, uh, there's bad actors in every institution. There's bad influences in every, any, any kind of organization. You have to clean house and you also have to make sure that you re- actually do return the Department of Justice to its norms, and you don't do what Merrick Garland and his team have been doing uh, since they came into office. Yeah, such an important moment in our history to reflect. I, I want to tell you, your, your career is so amazing because you've worked in so many different places on Senate Judiciary. You worked inside the Homeland Security Department. I want to take you back because you just mentioned the law that I covered when I was with the Associated Press, the Secure Fence Act of 2016, and because it is such an amazing vote when you look at it. It passed the Senate 80-19. It was a declaration that we're going to keep our borders secure. And I'm just going to tell you one particular senator who voted for it because it's relevant today. Joe Biden was for the Secure Fence Act of 26, 2006. Uh, and today he's the president opening up this border and leaving a level of insecurity we haven't seen. I want to take you to one particular thing and apply your legal expertise because you've worked on the border. You've worked in the Justice Department. In this current thing, we not only have this large number, record number of influx of illegal aliens that have been allowed into the country, nearly 2 million this last year. They're saying more than 2 million this year. But there is a organized trafficking operation in which the United States government and nonprofits together take these aliens who are supposed to be waiting for a court hearing to be expelled from the country, and they disperse them into the country. Westchester County, Scranton, Pennsylvania, all over Missouri. We've had reports all over the country. As someone who enforced the law, someone who knows the laws, or someone who protected the border, uh, is this basically our government involved in illegal human trafficking? Well, it, it, it's hard to draw any other conclusion. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's really when you take a look at the facts, and there's been recent reporting that from some court filings in some cases um, that, that show, for example, in January. In January alone, the federal government released into the interior of the United States 62,000 illegal aliens. And in December, it was 75,000 released in the interior of the United States. Those are astronomical numbers. 
And when you have a result like that, and you look at the provisions of federal law, and you look at the tools that are available, and you look at the commands that you shall detain somebody uh, who is apprehended uh, illegally crossing the border, and you look at the other things that are done, you know, this is not this is not an accident. This is an administration Wait. that completely opposes detention. Uh, completely opposes the thought of detaining anybody uh, for any period of time, uh, regardless of of their matter of entry into the United States. And so, again, look, there are towns and cities and it, all across this country that people your audience have grown up in or who have lived in that are towns of 4,000, 15, 20, whatever. And you think about this sheer number of people coming into the United States, and this is an administration that has no intention of ever deporting a single one of these folks after they've had their day in court. That is a huge problem. That is a complete abdication of responsibility to enforce uh, the laws that Congress has passed. And so, you know, it's particularly frustrating because in the Trump administration, you know, whether it's, you know, looking at something like the Secure Fence Act or looking at some other tools that were used, you know, like like the MPP program, the Remain in Mexico program. Yep. Congress gave a lot of authorities and a lot of tools and told the Department of Homeland Security, uh, formerly the Department of Justice back, back before uh, DHS was created, to say, hey, look, here's the tools that you can use to create a secure border. Congress never intended for the United States government to be releasing hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens into the United States in, in, in a given year. That's not the way the system's supposed to work. And, and so it's, it's very, very frustrating to see this, to see this happen and to see the rhetoric have changed so much from the left on this issue in particular, because there was once this, this bipartisan understanding that we need to have sovereign and secure borders. And it seems that we've completely gone away from that. And, um, you know, we, we are seeing the results now. We will see more results in the future. And this is something that has to change. The American people have to wake up. They have to see what's happening here. And they have to, to hold their elected officials accountable for what's happening at the southern border. Yeah, that's, that is the key. Accountability is the key because that's how... Uh, Americans finally get some form of justice. I, I want to, on the last minute or two that we have here, I want to uh, zero in on what could potentially be a form of accountability for the lack of enforcement at the border. There's been a lot of options discussed. I wonder if you can handicap a couple of them. Impeach the Homeland Security Secretary, impeach the President of the United States for not enforcing the law, sue the administration to force them to uh, uh, enforce the law, uh, or uh, prosecute people uh, under human trafficking laws because they are literally moving illegal aliens into the country when the law says they should be exported. Of those options, what do you think Republicans, conservatives, law-abiding Americans, which of those are the best options for trying to reverse some of the damage that the open border is now inflicting? Well, I think, number one, the best option for this moment in time is exactly what's happening right now, is that you have brave state attorneys general who are standing up, they're filing lawsuits, they're trying to stop this nonsense. Um, we're active in a couple of those uh, lawsuits ourselves, working uh, as, as outside counsel for, for uh, various offices, including uh, obviously the state of Texas, um, who, are do- who are really doing tremendous work in trying to hold this administration accountable and have federal courts declare and enjo- declare unlawful and enjoin these illegal practices. 
Um, and so that'll be great, and that will result in, I think, over time, some, and we've already seen some, even better court rulings saying that what this administration is doing is unlawful. But it's not enough. It's not enough. And, you know, look, as, as we head into the fall, and if things change in the fall, the next Congress, if it is, regardless of its composition, political ideology, whatever, mo- most likely, of course, it will be conservatives in Congress who would be interested in doing this. They have to hold people accountable. And by holding them accountable, whether it's impeachment, whether it's meaningful oversight hearings, what, whatever the case may be, there has to be things done. Because until those incentive structures are changed, yep. until the political actors within the Biden administration realize you can't just open our borders. You can't just do these policies and get away with it and think that there's no harm, no foul, uh, and you're not going to have to answer any questions for it. Uh, I, I can assure you that in the Trump administration, we certainly had to answer questions and we certainly had to uh, account for all kinds of different things. Um, and uh, the, the roles have to be, uh, it has to be the same standard, regardless of who's in uh, political power. There has to be meaningful oversight done of the department. And I think that meaningful oversight of the department from the United States Congress and accountability from the judiciary uh, in terms of the lawsuits, both now and, and potentially in the future, um, will do things to correct course and will will address the situation. Uh, but ultimately, as long as you have an executive branch that is not interested in exercising and fulfilling its most basic obligations under the law, you're going to have a continued battle. And so what we need is we need you know, obviously, we need that oversight. We need that check from the judiciary. We need the oversight from Congress. But we need an executive branch that's actually willing to enforce the laws that are on the books and to defend the interests of our country. Yeah, such an important thing. And a lot of people are asking these questions. I think next year is going to be a fact. If, if there's a change of, of uh, ownership of Congress and Republicans get control, there's going to be a, a remarkable moment to have oversight and accountability that maybe hasn't happened for a long time, and uh, particularly on the border issue, it's going to be interesting. Gene, we're so lucky that you've been serving in our government for so long. All the roles that you played is a great honor to have you on the show because you really know what goes on inside these departments because you were there. You're on the front lines, and a great honor to have you on the show today. Well, John, thanks for having me, and uh, anyone in your audience can can follow us at www.aslegal.org. Uh, for updates on, our, on the cases I mentioned and other things. Uh, we're, we're here to help. We're here to make a difference. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, you're one of my favorite experts to keep an eye on. Thank you for spending the time today. Really, really helped us out a lot. Thank you, sir. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to take a trip down to Tennessee where there's an unusual battle going on to keep some candidates from running an election. Is it nullification or just uh, trying to make the election rules a little more careful, uh, get a little more clear? We're going to find out. We're going to talk to Robbie Starbuck, one of the candidates fighting the effort in the legislature, right after this commercial break. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. 
It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free social security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. I promised you I'd get you a little bit of Tennessee before we got going this weekend. Joining us now is having Robbie Starbucks with us, the great music producer and now candidate for the Congressional District 5 in Tennessee. Robbie, great to have you on the show. Oh, great to be here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Earlier in the show, we kind of gave people a little taste of what's going on. There's a lot of machinations going on in Tennessee 5, uh, probably the most exciting congressional race in the country right now, because you've been there and you've been running for some time and people are very excited about you. You're up in the polls. Then all of a sudden, Morgan Ortegas drops into the race from uh, Washington, where she's been the former spokesperson for uh, Mike Pompeo. So the race gets a little bit crowded. And while all that's going on, the Tennessee legislature says, we'd like to change the rules for the whole congressional races and and put a three-year requirement that you live in the state for three years. And uh, all right, so that's going on. And people are now reporting in the newspapers, well, if that law gets into effect, Robbie Starbucks and Morgan Ortegas can't run. And we've done some work. We've been doing some reporting alongside you. I don't think those stories are right as it relates to you. So I want to get it straight from you. And we've done the records work. But if this new law takes effect and it's and the requirement is rolled back to April of 2019 for residency, uh, what's your status going to have been in April of 2019? 
we will be all good under this new law. Um, and that's why, you know, I provided my real estate paperwork to you guys you um, to, to show you guys, you know, I've been renting actually since December 2018 and then did the full purchase June 2019. Um, but, you know, what's interesting about it is uh, that standard actually is not what the amended law says. That's right. What the amended law says is that you'd be held to the same standard as a state rep. And the state rep standards, um, which are, you know, on Tennessee's, you know, government website, they say you would be a resident here three years as of election day. So even in the most favorable reading to people who say would want me off the ballot, it would be August 2019. Right. You would have had to have lived here. You would have had to live here by then, August 4th, 2019. Um, so, you know, even under the most favorable reading to them, it would not make any sense. But what's interesting about that is that, you know, when this initially started, it was actually three election cycles, which would have affected us. Right. But then they switched to the three year standard. And I was sort of curious because some people didn't know exactly how long I had lived here and so on and so forth who are in legislature. And some people who are motivated outside who may be thinking about running, who want this to pass because they know they can't win if I'm in the race. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, it'd be interesting if I float out there that when I purchased the house. So I floated out there to some people who I know sort of talk. <laughs> and and you the know, law said, started to move, know, didn't it? Yeah. And so I said, you know, um, June 2019, bought yeah. the house here. Right. And lo and behold, the law moves and it moves to um, the senator a couple hours later who wrote this bill nicely, gives a an interview to a media outlet that says, oh, the standard would be April, actually. Yep. And so, so, you know, I can't draw a conclusion. I can't say definitively that that's what happened. But I think it's curious that that goalpost moved when I had floated that out there and then, of course, knew I could back it up with the documents and everything. So yeah. it's just, it, it is funny. Um, I think it, it does show that this is obviously about nullification of a, a candidate. And I, I really don't think it's about Morgan. I think this is about me because Morgan's not up in the polls. I'm leading in the polls. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's clearly about that because some people know that running would not be a wise decision if I was in the race. Yeah, because you're already up and you've, you've got roots, you've been fundraising, you've been doing all the things that a candidate does when they're trying to move into the lead of a congressional race. Um, there's been a lot of questions. Of this is this carpet bagging and everything. But I want to walk through because we did a lot of, listen, we did a lot of uh, work on this because we wanted to find out the truth about you. There's been, you read the Tennessee and you see one thing, you read another news site, you see another thing, and like somewhere there has to be a, a set of objective facts. And we found these facts. So I want to walk through what, and it, just make sure I'm correct. I want to walk through my understanding. You first moved to Tennessee in December 2018 when you rent the house that you eventually are going to buy, correct? Yeah, that's when we started the whole process and everything and looked at schools and, you know, did, did all that stuff. Yep. And so your family's there. And, of course, it's a transition because you still have a house back in California to sell. sell. And so everybody knows what happens when you move to another state and you're still selling your house. It's a, trans, a phase transition. So you uh, eventually sell your house in California. You take the rental home, you buy that rental home. Uh, you uh, And that occurs in June, right? Yeah, we bought the home in June. Right. And then you register your cars, because that's what you do when you finish buying your house, right? You get your cars registered, right? Yep. Yep, and your driver's license, and then the kids enroll in school in the fall, right? That's kind of how it w would fall into place. 
Yep, they, they did some homeschooling before and then enrolled in school that year. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So from your perspective and from the actual body of records, your family is beginning to live in Tennessee in uh, December of 2018. That's when your residency gets established. And then you're involved with the Tennessee Republican Party all throughout this, right? You're raising money, donating money. You're pretty involved in Tennessee politics the second you step foot in, in the state. Isn't that right? Yeah, we we were very active from the very beginning. You know, I would say what's interesting is from the beginning, you know, obviously we didn't know all of the sort of inner party players and stuff like that. So it was actually me and my wife just organizing grassroots stuff. You know, we wanted to do freedom rallies and, you know, things to honor our law enforcement, things along those lines. So we just kind of organized it ourselves. And then the local GOP found us because of the success of our freedom rallies. And then um, we organized stuff with them. You know, we organized in 2020 a uh, rally that supported, you know, all the Republican candidates in the general election and, you know, things along those lines. So been active from day one in the community. Yeah. And what's the first time you had a freedom rally in Tennessee? Do you remember when the first one you did? Because they were pretty popular. Oh, man. Yeah, I would say probably that would be, you know, I don't have the exact date on me, but it was it was in 2019. So sometime later in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, so you've been involved in a party a long time and, and doing this. You look at this effort now, and I, I think you said it, and I just want to go back, because I think a lot of people have the same impression now. They've been scratching their heads. What's going on, and why does this sand keep shifting? Every time I read a story, it changes. But um, you feel like this was more of a nullification effort than it was a effort to tighten up the, establish, uh, the residency uh, requirements for running for office. Isn't that right? Well, absolutely. And, you know, that's sort of a secondary thing is that even though I'm not affected by, it, you know, the political thing for me to do would be to say, oh, we should go ahead and pass this law and get somebody else out of the race. But the, the, to be perfectly honest, this is unconstitutional. I mean, it, it violates a couple different things. I mean, you can make an argument it violates equal protection, but I think, you know, beyond that, just the qualifications clause, you know, that in itself um, at the Constitutional Convention 1787, they voted on this very thing. Should we allow there to be, um, you know, standards on residency for how long somebody lives in the state before they run for Congress. And they voted against putting that in the Constitution. And they did that for a reason. Obviously, they didn't feel it was appropriate for a federal race. And so they didn't do it. I'm pretty strict in terms of abiding by the Constitution. I want other people to be in regards to things like the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, and so on and so forth. So I feel like it's, you know, a duty I have to be consistent in that regard and say, hey, why are we wasting our voters' money on a law that is going to, you know, essentially, it's, it's going to get tossed in court. You know, if anybody challenges it, that's the other question. Will anybody challenge it? You know, because it's only going to affect one person as far as I know. And so, you know, we don't know about that. Yeah, no, it's really fascinating to watch this play out. And there seems to be some new information we're hearing from some people. I haven't checked this out. We haven't been able to get it confirmed, but they might actually delay the implementation of this law until the 2024 election, which would make all of this uh, moot if, if that were to happen. But uh, in your case, you, you, you can now show we've seen the records ourselves, uh, thanks to working with us. And so we know that you're, you land in Tennessee in December of 2018. It's not in doubt. That's where it is. The second piece of this is if this continues on and there's some effort to apply the law, change the law, knock you out, you don't have any problem going to court to challenge this, right? Oh, absolutely not. No, we would definitely go to court to challenge it. I mean, if anybody tries to challenge us, sort of the same thing as like, you know, there's a secondary thing here. Some of these same people who want to get me out, their secondary plan is to challenge that I'm a bona fide Republican, which is ridiculous because I've been a registered Republican, you know, voted Republican, donated only to Republicans, you know, so on and so forth. So in that same regard, you know, we have a great legal team. I've retained Harmie Dillon, um, you know, and I think that there would not be – 
much of a, a case for them to be able to make, you know, because if I'm not Republican, who is? And that's, again, it goes back to the equal protection standard. If you've, you know, validated people before and said they're bona fide and they have less of a resume than I do, you can't go on the other hand and say that I'm not, you know. Yeah, no, such an important thing. Well, we dug into this. We learned a lot. I really appreciate the transparency that you've provided to us. And, you know, this is going to play out the way the people of Tennessee wanted to play out. But having the facts, because I've watched all these sort of contradictions in the news media and I was getting confused. Uh, it's really great to be able to pin this down and know exactly when you got there, what you did, how it's played out. And uh, and now I think we have to watch this play out. If I had to bet based on what we're hearing, I, I bet you this law gets delayed by a couple of years. Have you heard that there is some discussion of that going on right now? That's definitely what I've heard, you know, and locally, I there's been a lot of backlash to this, you know, obviously, um, a bunch of people who supported me made a lot of phone calls. And I actually, you know, had some people say, hey, maybe, maybe cool it on the phone calls. Um, And so, you know, out of um, of, grassroots have an impact, don't they? Yeah, out of out of respect, I sort of pulled pulled everybody back and said, hey, everybody calm down. I think everything's going to be okay. You know, not only does it not affect me, but I think that they're seeing that this is there's constitutional issues here and so on. But, um, you know, regardless, locally, I mean, the support's just been incredible. In fact, I was just recently endorsed by Williamson County Sheriff Dusty Rhodes, and he's like one of the most beloved figures in Middle Tennessee. So, um, and you can't get more Tennessee than Dusty Rhodes. Right. So if, if he's willing to get behind this, you know, like he's seen the work. And I think that's what matters is action and work. And the people on the ground see that, that we've been putting the work in, we've been helping the community and that, you know, I'm kind of divorced from the national media narrative when it comes to what's going on in this race because what really matters is what what happens when i go downtown what happens when i go to this store that store how are people reacting what are they saying what do they want what do they need and you know what that's exactly the way the founding fathers wanted it they would leave the the uh, in the hands of the local people which leaders they wanted. And I think that's what's going to be fun about this. It's been a fun story to watch, confusing at times, but it seems like it's settling itself out now. And I really appreciate just the opportunity. You know, we came with you with some questions and you just, you know, were straightforward with us. And I think we learned a lot when we're able to just sit down and get the facts and get everybody educated. And then people will make the decisions that they make. But um, Robbie, thanks for the time today. Thanks for working with our reporters. We're going to have all this wrapped up in a nice story tomorrow morning on Just the News. So you can check out the documents and read everything and get the very latest and hopefully it will make a lot more sense when we're done and we thank you for for helping us get there absolutely appreciate it thank you all right sir have a good day folks we're gonna take a quick commercial break when we come back we're gonna wrap things up for the weekend we got a busy weekend ahead of us be right back delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Yes, it's hard to believe, but it is time to go yonder into the weekend. I hope you have a blessed President's holiday weekend. Enjoy that Monday off if you're lucky enough to get it. I'm going to be working Monday. I could have a podcast for you. I could have a TV show for you Monday. But until then, I really want you to enjoy what we have going here. And, and it should be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to it. All right, before we go, I always like to shout out one of our partners, one of the folks that make what we do possible each day. And we've got some good ones here. We really do. Joining us on so many of the work we've done here is a wonderful new group called Alto IRA. What do they do? They allow you to take into your investment, your retirement funds, some cryptocurrency. Everyone's trying to figure out what is this cryptocurrency? Should I get involved? A lot of people fascinated by it. Lots of people moving into it. Well, the question is, should you do it, right? Well, here's a really simple way. You can learn really simply because our good friends at Alto Crypto IRA have created a perfect presentation for you to learn, get ready, decide what you should do, right? If you want to take some cash and transfer it into a crypto IRA, you can do that, but you got to learn how to do it, right? So we have a special offer for you from our good friends at Alto Crypto IRA. And what you have to do is to take your next investment, so you diversify, like the pose, and you trade without the tax setting, open an Alto Crypto IRA with as little as $10. That's a pretty good deal. 10 bucks is all it takes to open up a crypto IRA. Just go to altoira.com slash justnews. You know that special URL. We use the Just News URL. Let me give you that to again. Alto, dot com slash Just News to get started investing in cryptocurrency in your retirement fund. What a real cool opportunity, at least to learn about. Go check it out. It only takes a few seconds. You'll be a lot smarter when you're done. You'll know about whether Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, all of the different cryptocurrencies, whether they're right for you, how do you do that? Well, you go to altoira.com slash just news today. A great message from one of our great partners. All right, folks, it's time to go into the weekend. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. We'll be with you again on Monday and keep an eye out for a weekend special podcast. We're going to do a couple of podcasts on Sunday. We're going to do the best hits from the TV show. And tomorrow we're going to give you a Saturday special, special podcast we had the opportunity to interview the doctor who discovered omicron you're going to want to hear her story so check out all weekend we're going to have great podcasts let me tell you the lineup you know today's saturday we're going to talk to the south african doctor who discovered the omicron and all of the political funny business that went around with that discovery on sunday we're going to have the best hits for the sunday show if you didn't get a chance to watch my tv show all week we've got some great interviews you can listen to on sunday and then on monday on Monday, Robert Ray, the former Whitewater independent prosecutor, is going to give us a history lesson on Hillary Clinton. You know why? Because Hillary Clinton's out there saying fake scandal, John Durham, Fox News, John Solomon, all fake. Well, before you make that decision and take her at her word, let's hear from the prosecutor who pursued Mrs. Clinton because she hid her law firm records, gave inaccurate testimony to the Whitewater investigation three decades ago. When you listen to Hillary Clinton and you consider the current case against her former counsel and the dirty trick that was the Russia collusion, you have to consider the history of Mrs. Clinton's conduct. 
Robert Ray, the former Whitewater Independent Counsel, exclusively Monday, here with John Solomon Reports. What a weekend. You're going to get bonus coverage from the podcast. Check it out. We're going to keep you real busy all weekend long. All right, folks, that wraps it up for another week. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Remember to check out Alto Crypto IRA. All you got to do is go to altoira.com. What a great offer, great opportunity, and uh, check them out. All right. Have a great weekend. We'll be back Monday with a new edition. And don't forget those special weekend editions we have stored up for you on this holiday weekend. God bless and good night. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.